Hello and shalom, everybody. My name is Julia Jassy, and you are listening to Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. On today's episode, we are talking with tech journalist Nellie Bowles. Nellie is as passionate a Jew as you're ever going to meet. She truly loves her faith, her community, her peoplehood, all of it. And she isn't afraid to talk about it and write about it. What makes Nellie so connected to her Judaism is that, well, she chose to be a part of it. Nellie is a Jew by choice, a woman who was so inspired by the religion that she chose to convert to it. Her story is as powerful as it is really beautiful. So many people, myself included, who were born into Judaism have taken it for granted in ways that Nellie has learned to value it. And she's documented this experience through her blog, Chosen by Choice, which shares the stories of converts with stories similar to hers and different from hers, all bound together by a love they chose to find in Judaism. On today's episode, I wanted to talk to Nellie about her experience finding Judaism and why she chose to write about it. I want to ask how a tech journalist from the New York Times finds inspiration from a blog on Jewish conversions. But really, I just want to hear Nellie's story because it truly is one worth celebrating. I am so excited for you guys to meet her. Let's do this thing. Nellie Bowles is a former New York Times reporter on tech and internet culture. Before writing for The Times, she's written for California Sunday, The Guardian, Recode, and the San Francisco Chronicle, as well as acting as a correspondent for Vice News Tonight. Prior to journalism, Nellie graduated from Columbia University and was a 2011-2012 Fulbright Fellow to Swaziland. Nellie, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure to be here and chatting with you. Amazing. Let's get right into it. So can we start off by telling us a little bit about where you're from? Yeah. So I'm from San Francisco, California, born and raised. Uh, my family's been in California for a long time, and, and uh, now I am calling in from Los Angeles, California, where I have moved, managed to move my new wife, and we are um, living in central LA. Amazing. And you were not raised Jewish. How was your family background growing up? I was raised... I would say a mix of Episcopalian and a little bit of Greek Orthodox from my mom. Mm. And we would go to the church two blocks down from my house growing mm. up. Um, we went every Sunday, more or less. And um, I, I would say I was raised in a fairly religious home. My mom's gotten actually mm. more religious as I've gotten older, but I haven't obviously been a child in the house. Yeah, I, I come to Judaism as someone who likes religion already. For sure. And I think that's actually something that makes a lot of sense. I think that you had an appreciation for it growing up that kind of drew you to having a curiosity for for Judaism. And what drove that curiosity? What what made you consider converting and becoming a part of the tribe? <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, religion was always a, like church was like a third space, right? It was a space mm-hmm. that wasn't school. It wasn't work. It wasn't my friends or family. It was like Something separate from that, and mm-hmm. and and at its most basic, it's just like a time every week where you go and like think about life and think about like you know how you're living. Are you doing a good mm-hmm. job that week? Could you do better? Um, I liked having that in my life, and I need to have that in my life, and I think yeah. humans need to have that in their lives. And so, sure. so I, as I'd gotten older, had stopped going to church, stopped being really involved. I I had trouble with a lot of the. Um, it's going to sound crazy, but like some of the mystical aspects of it. Like mm-hmm. I had trouble, like Christianity is really, a, 
it's a belief, right? Like you have to believe, you have to Mm -hmm. believe in the magic, you have to believe in the resurrection. And, And when you get older and you start to really think about it, and if you're like a skeptical person like me, that's really hard. Yeah. And I couldn't believe. And that was really hard for me. And for years, I just lived kind of without religion and was like, it's fine. You know, I I'd sort of made peace with like that not really being part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about four years ago, I met this woman who is Jewish and mm-hmm. for whom being Jewish is really important to her. And so I started by just kind of thinking, okay, well, she's really into Judaism. She writes about Judaism. I know mm-hmm. nothing about Judaism. So yeah. like, you know, four years ago or whatever, I was like, I'll just take a 101. Like there's mm-hmm. all these 101 classes at Reform Shuls and yeah. um, I'll take one of these classes. It's like six months every Thursday night. And I'll learn about this thing that's really interesting, and and I'll impress this girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very romantic. I'm now I realize I'm. <laughs> well, you know, you do what you got to do. The hopeless romantic <laughs> in me is just like failing right now for the story. <laughs> yeah, but also, I, you know, I wanted to learn. Yeah. You want to learn about what your partner's into. Yeah, of course. And so that's how it started. Yeah. Um, and I'm just a curious person, so it was fun. Like yeah. the idea of just like learning about something new every yeah. week was just fun. Like mm-hmm. you're you're in college still, so it's like you learn yeah. all the time. But when you get older, like you're not necessarily you're not taking classes anymore. You're not necessarily learning unless you like put mm-hmm. yourself in situations to do so. For sure. Sorry, I'm I realize I'm just rambling, but I can just keep no. Rambling I'm loving the story. Please keep rambling. That's that's why we have you here. You want to hear the rambles, all of it. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Well, <laughs> so I take the I take the one on one. I sign up with. Um, the kitchen, which is a yeah. like very cool reconstructionist, Ferris says to use the term neo-Hasidic. It's like <laughs> um, this just very cool new shul in San Francisco yeah. with a lot of young people, a lot of energy, and run by this woman named Noah Kushner, who's mm. a brilliant rabbi. And um, I take this one-on-one class, and I just love it. Mm-hmm. I love learning about the rituals of Judaism. I love learning about um, just the the life cycle of it, the, the, how you're yeah. supposed to structure your week, how you're supposed to structure your year, and how it kind of holds a life. And it just pretty quickly clicked for me. And yeah. I liked that it was based on the same you know, it, it was all the same stories and traditions that I'd grown up with in a lot of ways, but based in a kind of more like rational, lived world, um, yeah. a world of like debate and curiosity and questioning rather than belief. And so mm-hmm. that really um, clicked for me. And like, you can be an agnostic Jew. You can't yeah. be like a, you can't be an atheist evangelical Christian. It just that doesn't work because it's a yeah. belief. It's not a tribe. Yeah, and so I, I just liked it right away. And yeah, and then absolutely. after that was done, um, I kept meeting with my rabbi, and I took years and years, and I actually just dunked in the mikvah last or like like. Three days ago. Oh my! Um, well, mazel tov. <laughs> Thank you. That's incredible. So, um, 
anyways, you asked me a question. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm too excited yeah. about this all right now. No, and I mean, I think that it's so interesting to listen to you talk about this because I come from a totally different background than, than you, but your your story is something that I can very much understand and your experience, something that I understand too. I mean, this emphasis on debate, I remember being in elementary school and going to Hebrew school and we'd be reading prayers and debating what the meaning of them was. And here we are, eight-year-old kids sitting in a room with a teacher saying, hey, what do you think? Like, like let's talk about the Shema. Let's unpack this. And I remember being like, I am eight. I don't know any of this. But we were encouraged from a really, really young age to just always ask questions, always be debating, always be talking. Um, it's amazing. And, and, and it's a yeah. real difference between the cultures. And, and yeah. it's just such, it's such a beautiful part of Judaism. And I think we take that for granted when we don't understand that that's not a universal experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's also interesting what you're talking about, about like feeling like you were missing something in your life. I think that that experience of having moments of questioning where you stand is something that we can all relate to, even if you were born Jewish, not understanding what mm. your place in Judaism is, not understanding where you're going with it. I've been there. Um, so I think that your experience coming into Judaism was a very Jewish experience, to, to say the very least. Um, a lot of people actually in yeah. the 101 were Jewish. And it was yeah. really interesting. It was a mix of like fiancés and mm -hmm. um, people who were born Jewish but not didn't practice at all and, and knew nothing about it, like like yeah. the children of Soviet Jews. And yeah. um, it was a really interesting mix. It was like maybe 20, 25 people. But um, yeah, it wasn't all people trying to convert. Which yeah. was surprised me, and I, I didn't understand that at first. And then, um, as I've learned more, I've learned, you know, the history of Soviet Union, for example. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I, I distinctly remember being in shul when I was a very young kid, and one of my Hebrew school classmates' mother um, had converted to Judaism, and she, I remember. I, I was very young and I took my Judaism very much for granted. I didn't really understand the value of it. I remember her standing in the shul and crying, talking about her experience of coming into Judaism and finding the strength in it. And it took me a really long time to gain that level of appreciation for it, choosing mm. to be a part of something that I think a lot of us don't understand the power of um, is such a meaningful process. Yeah, it's like, it's any newcomer. Like when, when someone, it's like, Tourists in San Francisco always remind me of how beautiful San Francisco is, right? Like someone who just moves to the city and is like, oh my God, Golden Gate Park. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, Golden Gate Park. That is yeah. pretty nice. And I, I feel like I'm doing that at a lot of Shabbat dinners right now. I'm Absolutely. like, guys, this is incredible. <laughs> I hope that you're liking all the matzah. I'll see if you can get because <laughs> I, I actually do. I really, I, <laughs> I, I struggle with some of the Ashkenazi traditional food. I'm going to be honest with you, but the matzah ball soup I love. I, I, yeah, gefilte fish. I, I no. No, no yes. But that's what I think is so powerful about Chosen by Choice and your blog and your experience of being this super accomplished journalist who's writing about your experience coming into Judaism because it's hard to hear your story right now and talk to you right now and not feel, oh yeah, being Jewish is awesome. What she's saying is so true and not be inspired by that. That's, thank you. That's very, very sweet. I'm, I'm, I mean, I've, so I started the blog. Um, yeah, I want to hear about this. In the, at the start of COVID. And mm. I basically was feeling like here I had been learning about Judaism for a couple of years and all of a sudden 
I was going to have to be alone with a Zoom shul trying to like get deeper into this. And the thing that I love so much about Judaism, I mean, one of the things I love so much about Judaism is that it requires people, that it requires Mm -hmm. community, like physical community. You have to have enough people for a minion. You have to, like, you have to physically show up in Judaism Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And that was such a magical, amazing part of it. And so for me, Mm -hmm. doing the Zoom shul and doing the uh, Zoom classes, and it, it was really, like, hard and just felt like I was getting like unplugged in a bit from from this thing I was learning about. And yeah. so I um, started the blog as like a weekly challenge for myself to just post once a week, either an essay that I wrote or an essay that uh, someone else who was choosing Judaism or had, or had chosen Judaism um, and posting it every Thursday night was really helpful, like on a personal yeah. level, just in terms of like keeping myself pushing forward and learning new things and thinking about new elements of of converting that I hadn't thought about. Um, and so, yeah, that's how the blog started. And it, and it, it sort of saw me through COVID and what became yeah. like my friend through COVID. And I um, now I'm doing it like once a month or something because the world's coming back and mm-hmm. I, I've been going to shul in person. And so I, I feel the need for it a little less, but I still love doing it. And am, um, I, it's brought a lot to my life. And the stories of other converts have been the best. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about those? In reading these experiences of other people who have converted, who other people who have chosen to be Jewish by choice like you, um, have you found that there are lots of stories similar to yours, different from yours? What were they're some of the pieces? They're all so different. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? Oh, they're just the most touching, beautiful, yeah. beautiful stories. I, I I should have pulled some that I could read right now. The the um, the submissions I've gotten, I mean, it's from all over the country, mm-hmm. different people who chose to be Jewish. And a lot of them are people who maybe, like, my one of my favorites was a guy who married a Jewish woman. They mm-hmm. raised their kids Jewish. He was really involved with the shul, but he just never converted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, finally in his, I, I, I want to say like late mm-hmm. 50s, um, decides to just go for it. and wow. And... Finishes up a one hundred and one and and converts and just the whole everyone comes to it differently, um, but what what I really wanted to highlight with the blog was like mm-hmm. both the differences in the stories, but also the common thread of the things that draw people to yeah. Judaism and to this tribe, to this ancient tribe. Yeah, of course. And and I think you know by showing young people who are getting married and older folks who have already raised a Jewish family but just weren't mm-hmm. Jewish. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been trying to – the differences in the similarities. What are some of those similarities? What are the common threads that you see people being drawn to Judaism by? I would say a huge part of it is the ancient tribe – vibes, as the kids say. Love um, the ancient the, tribe. <laughs> like – I think, like, okay, for myself, I kind of visualize my conversion in part as, like, there's an ancient tribe walking across the desert, and I'm mm. like, hey, guys, hey, can I, like, walk with you? <laughs> and I love that. Like, and yeah. I think um, a lot of people in our 
and this is sort of cliche to say, but in our like increasingly fractured, religionless, communityless world, look at Judaism and look at the 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 rules and the guidelines that it gives to a life and say, I need that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, there's all these new stats, right, about how um, modern Americans have so few f- close friends, mm-hmm. and especially American men have so few close friends, mm-hmm. um, whereas like 20 years ago, they had a lot more, and the, the kind of like march towards loneliness that our culture is in, yeah. um, and Judaism is a rejection of that. And so I would say that a common thread through all these really different stories and really different reasons for conversion, but a common thread is um, just that insistence on community. Yeah. And I mean, you've you've explained before how outside of this incredible work, you are a journalist for the New York Times. So definitely nothing to, nothing to sneeze at. You're pretty impressive in all, all I mean, areas. I've been on, I've been on Bookly for a few months and now I'm technically, I'm technically coming off Bookly, but Barry gives me six weeks. <laughs> um, and you, you've spoken about how this conversion process and hearing stories and meeting people has given you a drive to be more empathy driven in your reporting. Mm. Where does that come from? How come you feel like this connection to this new tribe brings you to more empathy and something has nothing to do with Judaism. Yeah. So the concept of Lashon Hara Mm -hmm. really, really has stuck with me. I am a reporter who um, sometimes, like, I do stories that upset people. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I do stories about horrible things that are really depressing and that should upset people. And sometimes there are good guys in a story and sometimes there are jackasses in a story. And um, I think wrestling with Lashon Hara and wrestling with like, when is it necessary to speak ill? When is it necessary um, to do that kind of work has really, um, it just it just took me on a whole little mental journey in myself of like <laughs> reflecting and trying to understand yeah. you know what was driving me and why and whether sometimes i was driven more by um the desire for attention and the sort of pleasure of conflict or if i was driven by nobler things and mm-hmm. i think often i was driven by um the pleasure of conflict and the desire for attention. And and I think of uh, mostly when I was like a younger reporter. Um and I was kind of just willing to like just like be a little more callous and a little more careless. Mm-hmm. And in part this is Lushan Hara and converting and becoming Jewish and in part this is I think just getting older and mm-hmm. becoming I think as people get older they become more empathetic and softer in a lot of ways, which makes them boring, but um, which makes them maybe nicer. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's boring. I think that's so interesting. You write about um, tech and internet culture, and I don't think you typically think about empathy. When you think about tech, you think about something kind of cold and hard and very much male-dominated, but here you come into Mm. this world and you're breaking glass ceilings, but you're doing it in a way that is kind you're of so unprecedented. I mean, no, I don't really come think on, that there are- No, come on, come on. There's I, been I just, lot, there, there's, 
There's lots of good uh, lady lady tech reporters. What I mean unprecedented is I mean the way that you're viewing it. Like, I don't think that you think, how can I write about tech culture in a way that is empathetic? I don't think many people think about tech culture that way. And that's just a really interesting angle. Well, the story of technology is the story of people right now. Yeah. And I think for a long time, it was told as like a, either a gadgetry story or yeah. then a money story. Yeah. And- and and then it evolved into a power story yeah. um, with the big tech and the new oligarchs and all yeah. that. And yeah. now I think, and for me, how I see it is it's a human story. It's yeah. a story about how us, these like soft, fleshy little animals are being changed by yeah. technology, by these glass screens. And yeah. so I see it as like, a human story, and it, I think to try to understand how tech is changing us does require empathy and does require, mm. like, a lot of empathy. I mean, just think about, like, this year in remote learning and kids. Yeah. The only way to understand how that's going to change children and what long-term impacts that's going to have is to, like, really try to, like, feel in your heart, like, the human ness of it and like the yeah. humanness of like a five-year-old who looks at a screen all day and whose teachers are masked and who like yeah yeah I, I think it's like an empathy story now actually yeah, that's, that's actually <laughs> um, exactly what I was thinking I mean my I'm definitely not the most knowledgeable tech person but I'm a very big education um quality person, like education, just all sorts of different things when it comes to children and their access to education and accessibility. And I think a big question with tech recently, especially during the pandemic, is access to it. Um, And how, yes, we talk about tech in terms of kind of like an oligarchical view, but it actually is becoming a part of the everyday lives of every person, such that access to it is access to education. Um, and I think that the the story on tech is changing as people are being changed by this extenuating circumstance in the pandemic. Yeah, and like I wrote an essay a couple of years ago that I I want to like update because I keep thinking mm-hmm. about it, but it's like yeah. the thesis was basically that human contact is a luxury good, and yeah. so like the poor will be educated on screens. The mm-hmm. they will be given diagnoses from doctors on screens. Mm-hmm. The only ones who are going to get, in, I, I, this would be my prediction if I had to place bets, that mm-hmm. the people who are going to get human teachers are going to be, it's going to be like a luxury good. It's going to be yeah. the rich. And and otherwise, for the middle class, for the poor, for even the upper middle class, it'll be Zoom school. And I think we're seeing wow. that now. I, for me, I don't like that. <laughs> my instinct is I'm wary. I think you, I, I think it's inevitable. And I think you, yeah. we're kind of off topic with all this, but it's inevitable and you can do good versions and bad versions. But yeah. like, you know, if I had to choose between, if God willing, I have a kid one day, mm. I, I'd much rather them be taught by a human than by a screen. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think that this is off topic. I think this connects exactly to what we've been talking about this whole time to what drew you to Judaism in the first place. This idea of having a connection that transcends circumstance, that even when we're in a pandemic, even when we can't be next to each other, finding a way to connect and to have meaningful connections within those connect, not just connect, but to connect meaningfully. Um, And it's kind of, it's interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting that you found a way to bring that into your personal spiritual life and also into your 
professional life that you wouldn't really expect to have that view of journalism, of tech and journalism. But that transcending idea of connection is really just central oh, to all yeah. the work that you're doing. I mean, Judaism is, it's, it's given me so much. I, mm-hmm. I just feel really grateful. And I, um, yeah, it's, it's a really good program. It's a yeah. really good program. Like, yeah. guess what? Like a little tradition is nice is basically <laughs> what I've learned. And it's yeah. like, um, you know, we can, I obviously live in a very modern way. I'm married to a woman. Like I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not living an ultra traditional life by any mm-hmm. means. Um, but I think that there is a lot of wisdom in traditions and that yeah. they answer uh, they answer questions that we've forgotten. And so yeah. when you get rid of a tradition, that's great, but but you gotta you're you're gonna be confronted with a whole lot of questions that you've got to answer. And yeah. for me, a big part of converting has been like leaning into the idea that maybe I'm not gonna be able to think of better traditions and and like a better way to structure a life than than six days of work and 25 hours of rest. Maybe that's a really mm-hmm. good way to structure a week. And maybe actually someone had already figured that out and I didn't need to figure <laughs> that out. And like, yeah. maybe there are other things that like the Jewish people over millennia have figured out that I don't need to like invent in this one lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so a big part of the last few years has been kind of like realizing that. And like, it requires being a little like humble and yeah. a little... um less full of yourself and less sure of yourself, less sure that like your mind can figure out in this lifetime all the things it needs to figure out. I think that's so interesting. And I think it's so interesting, the point that you brought up about this conflict of living a modern life and also having tradition. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. kind of the ultimate experience and the ultimate question and tension of so many people, millennial, Gen Z, Jews right now in particular. I mean, people in general, but I think that's like an innately Jewish experience that we have this really ancient religion, but this ancient religion that's adapted a lot too, because first we were, you know, in our, we were in ancient, you know, in Judea, and then we were in mm. shtetls, and then we kind of found our own country all of a sudden, and we've also been in diaspora, and just this, this constant shifting landscape and being able to survive in it. And that's happening again now, and people are doing it in ways that are super meaningful, and yeah. your experience is a part of that. Well, it, I, yeah, it feels like it. It's 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 just been great. I feel yeah. like I'm like I, I really am the 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 like person who just moved to San Francisco. I'm like, <laughs> this is beautiful. Yeah. It's a great program. I I love that uh, way that you worded that. <laughs> my my Jewish friends, I guess oh my God, I can say I'm Jewish now. I can't believe I yeah. finally dunked. Oh, um, amazing. <laughs> my my friends make fun of me for wanting to be like an evangelical Jew. And I'm like, guys, guys, it, this is an incredible program. Like you you gotta you gotta talk it up. You gotta spread this. Like people need to know. <laughs> um they, they, that, that really doesn't funny. usually go over so well though. <laughs> Oh my God, but, no. But I think that that enthusiasm like, is well, so important to, to embrace. I, uh, well, thank you. I of think um, <laughs> it, during the Beit Dean, the rabbis mm-hmm. were asking me, like, mm-hmm. uh, 
hard questions, actually. And it was interesting because I'd already kind of been quizzed by my rabbi about like about um, prayers and this and that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I sort of like had, you know, she'd been coaching me for years. And yeah. so it wasn't like a quiz on content because she like knew the content I knew and the content I didn't. And yeah. um, But they were asking me, because I've been, the in, the good parts are really easy to see and really mm-hmm. like have I've just I, I'm I'm just like high on it, but the mm-hmm. um, rabbis were asking me like, how will I reckon with the legacy of the Holocaust? Like, how mm-hmm. will I, as this person who grew up in like nice San Francisco, like Episcopalian community, like get my head around joining a people who have been persecuted and who have suffered and who have had to like suffer for this faith that I'm coming to in this like delighted, like happy-go-lucky way. Mm-hmm. And I, I I wish I had like a quick way to sum it up because I I was dumbfounded by the question and it was hard. Yeah. yeah. The hardest part has been reckoning with the struggle of the history. Yeah. Well, I mean, I come from a family, my dad's side um, came over from Poland and Russia and like all over Eastern Europe, just before the Holocaust, my mom's side, um, were Israeli refugees from Yemen, Iraq, Spain. Um, mm. So definitely, like, a, I, I don't have a good answer to that question. And I, like, come from a family that has a lot of that in their background, and I, I don't know. I think that that's just the fact that you grapple with that question is a very Jewish experience. Like, how do you explain <laughs> that to your family one day? Like, how do you, how do you come to terms with it? I still, I mean, I've... 20 years old, and I still don't really know how to come to terms with it. Um, You're 20 years old. You're a baby. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I'm 20 years old, and I still haven't. Oh, God, I'm a grizzled 33. Back in my youth. (laughs) Back in your youth. (laughs) Um, But I guess that really brings me to, like, the ultimate question of the podcast. Um, And our last question, unfortunately, but... um, you you come from it with a totally different perspective than most people do. Um, and I think that perspective is important. Um, and what advice would you want to give to someone who is maybe coming into it from the same background as you or maybe was raised Jewish and is hearing how you're speaking about it and and seeing the way that you value it and is inspired? How would you want them to navigate the world now as you have become this Jewish woman a couple of days ago, which is amazing, having this fresh perspective, what advice would you want to give to anybody, I mean, particularly young women, but really anyone listening to this podcast about navigating the world as a Jewish woman? Oi, asking <laughs> me to advise young Jewish women. How to, I, I'm a Jewish woman as of three days ago. Well, I mean, um, I guess you are a young Jewish woman. You're, you're a newly, a newly, a newly young one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... I would just say to not take it for granted or be embarrassed about it or be shy about it. Like Judaism is an amazing tribe, an amazing religion, an amazing history. Mm -hmm. It's um, something to just be really proud of and proud about. And, and, and it offers a hell of a lot and it Mm -hmm. life is, lonely and stressful and unstructured and Judaism has a lot of answers for that. Yeah. Um, and so I would just say to stay open to that and, um, and to, to take after you, 
You Thank who's you. inspired so many. You who inspires me. You Thank who you. who are in the belly of the beast of of a culture that makes it so hard to be proud and makes it so hard to be um, proud of your history and proud of the, the traditions of Judaism. And and you're you're fighting for that pride. And it's um, it's so inspiring uh, on my and as a newcomer to just to watch the work that you and your community are doing. Thank you. I'm so inspired by it. Likewise. I mean, I think it's so interesting because I listen to you speak and I get so much perspective. I feel like I, I got a lot out of this conversation just as the person hosting the interview. I (laughs) feel like I've listened, but I listened to your, your perspective. And I think that you forget that sometimes when you grow up with it. I think it's interesting that we both come from different backgrounds and are mutually inspired by each other. I think that's something that's so powerful about why we did this podcast in the first place. You want to have that. Yeah. You got to come to LA and hang out. You got to come. Yeah, I would love that. We're going to, we're setting up the house. It's going to be great. (laughs) And, and we can, we can do a redux of the podcast, um, um, IRL. I would love that. I would 100% love to do that. Oh my gosh. Well, Nellie, it's been wonderful. And I'd love to have this conversation again because just you're incredible. Thank you for taking oh, the stop. time. You're so you guys you. are doing the really hard work right now. Um thank you. I, you know it, it's not so hard for me to to be doing this. And I, I mostly have just gotten all positive feedback about the mm-hmm. blog and and yeah. it's it's been really fun. You're you're really like a, a warrior right now. Um but thank yeah, you. it was a absolute pleasure to be on this and thank you so much for inviting me and for letting me ramble about things hopefully i said something that i loved the coherent loved the rambles thank you so much thank you so i was born jewish i got a hebrew name and i had my bat mitzvah i fasted on yom kippur since i was 11 just to prove that i could I spin a dreidel and eat gelt each Hanukkah. I've broken the middle matzah on Pesach, all since I was a child. But I really didn't appreciate it, you know? I just kind of went through the motions because that's what I was used to. It wasn't until I grew up that I realized how much pride there was worth having in my identity, how much Judaism is worth celebrating. Nellie's story struck me so deeply because while I was taking the Judaism I was born with for granted, Nellie was studying with so much excitement to join it. And there's something about that that I'm so struck by. Sometimes you don't really appreciate what you have when you've always had it. But to somebody joining, Judaism is exciting, romantic even. An ancient people preserved over millennia, upholding the same traditions that our ancestors fought for and even died for to keep alive. Isn't there so much poetry in that? So maybe I didn't appreciate my Judaism nearly enough as I should have once. But I surely appreciate it now. I recognize the magic that Nellie found in it, and I want to celebrate it just like she does. And this, my friends, is where we'll leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls. Hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. Let us know your thoughts and email us at podcasts at jewishunpack.com. Join us next week when we'll be speaking with the Director of Community Engagement for the ADL, Carly Pildes. Nice Jewish Girls is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rivki Stern is our producer, and I am your host, Julia Jassy. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked related, and subscribe to our other podcasts. 
And don't forget to follow Unpacked at all of the social media places like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. Talk to you later, ladies.